we rest in the fact that we are yours and we cling to the fact that that you are ours Lord we ask that you bless this time this morning we ask that the challenge be just enough and the hope be more than enough Lord thank you for all things in Jesus name Amen we tried to outsmart the system today with technology but technology can't replace Becca so there you go if you ever wondered, Becca is irreplaceable. Um, we are starting a brand new series today. Go ahead and click on that first one. Sweet. Um, this one is going to be what takes us into Advent. So, yes, we're going to be camping here for a while, but I think it's important. We just journeyed five weeks about our core values of what this church believes and how we function and how we make decisions. And that's going to bleed directly into now what do we do? What do disciples do? And I think we talk about a lot about what disciples believe and what they, what they think and how they should, but we don't ever talk about what disciples actually do. And so we're going to try to like focus in for the next while um, just on what we do as disciples. What does that look like? And I'm just going to tell you right now, this, this series is not going to be one that every time you leave going, man, that's what I needed. Because you're going to walk out and you're going to go home and be like, that's what I needed. It's, it's going to be a bit of a kick in the pants. Um, but hopefully there'll be a lot of hope tied to that also. Because I truly believe that discipleship or discipline produces a joy that we can't do on our own. There's grace that comes with this. There's grace that, that comes in and does these things and makes a difference. So as we journey through this, the challenge is simple. For you to be open-minded enough... To be able to grow and to be stretched and to hear the hope and the grace that comes along with all of it. Because it's there, I promise you. Um, We're about to head into a brand new election cycle. I mean, we're already kind of there. And there's been debates and there's been these things that happen. And I always think it'd be funny. There there was a book by Shane Claiborne a couple years ago called Jesus for President. And I always think it'd be really funny if Jesus did run for president. Because he was the worst at getting people to follow him. I mean, it was like, whenever he got a big crowd behind him, he always did something that made people leave. I think, I think Jesus should write a church growth book. As soon as you start to get big, here's what you do to make it made in. You know? uh, but the, today's story is like this. But if, if Jesus was a candidate, and he stood up on a debate stage, and they said, okay, opening statements, ready, go. And Jesus took the podium and he said, I want you to vote for me, and if you do... You're going to have to hate your family. You're going to have to not have a home. You're going to have to struggle for a really long It's going to be really hard. And then, to make everything on election day, you are going to have to literally think of the most humiliating thing possible and do that. I'm thinking that most people aren't voting for that. Like, this is not an attractive platform, Right? But when you phrase it a little bit different way and take it out of like a political realm and more like a tour guide or like an adventure thing, 
And, and you say, like, if, a, if, if you were on this adventure, like, do you, do, do you realize that people, like, on their own choice, they climb Mount Everest? Like, this is something that people don't just do. They pay tens of thousands of dollars to do it. So they, they go to the highest point of the earth, practically freeze to death and suffocate, and then they get down and they say, well, that was fun. And they tell everyone about it. First of all, if I did something like that, I wouldn't tell anybody because that just makes you look foolish. But the, these, this, 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 this piece of adventure that gives us a little bit more push to do crazy stuff. So imagine this. There's a tribe in the Amazon that needs a vaccine. And I've come to you, four or five of you, and I said, here's the deal. These people are going to die unless we get the vaccine to them. So, yes, I'm, I'm pulling in Jen and Sheila and Ruth and Kara and anyone else with medical expertise. <laughs> and I'm going to them and I'm saying, okay, here's the thing. They are not going to live. They're all going to die of disease. But if we can get them this, this vaccine, then, hey, we can do it. And then they're like, oh, yeah, that sounds awesome. We'll totally do that. It, the, it's, it's worth it. And I said, okay, but here's after we get to a certain point. You've got to ditch everything you own. Your backpacks, it's too, we, can't, we can't take them up there. All we have room to carry is the vaccines themselves. You, you, we're probably not going to be able to get the stuff when we get back because the jungle's crazy. We're never going to get back to the same place we just left from. And then on top of that, some of us aren't going to make it home. Like you're just not going to, you're going to get eaten by crazy monkeys and, and die of insect bites because the vaccines are for them, not us. And, and it's going to be treacherous. And by the time we get there, you're going to be so mad at everyone in this group that you're going to hate each other. But I promise it's going to be worth it because if we don't go, they're not going to live. It's pretty much the same message. I mean, it's pretty much the same call. Do something, give everything you have for it, and it'll be worth it. But there's something about being called to an adventure that changes all of that. And in this, in this idea of what it looks like to be a disciple, what disciples do, we're going to start off with the fact that disciples take faith very seriously. This is not something that we just go, oh, well, okay, and, 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 and then that's how we do it. We're just, well, we're Christians. So, nah. There's a, a story in a book, and I can't remember who wrote it, so I'm trying to give credit, but I don't remember where to, to give credit to. Just know that I didn't think of this. Uh, this, this dad was trying to get his kids to embrace a better story. His kids were getting in trouble constantly, and they were in and out of getting suspended from school and all this kind of stuff. And so he just decided one day that they were going to cancel any kind of spending extra for a year. And they were going to donate all of that money to an orphanage, to, to, to building an orphanage in Mexico. Well, being a, being a very uh, into it and connected dad, he decided he was going to announce this at a dinner, a family dinner. And he hadn't told his wife about this either yet. And so he sits down and he says, okay, family, here's the deal. We are going to forego all extra spending for a year. And everything that we would have spent, we're going to send to this orphanage in Mexico to see, to see it be built. And uh, as you can imagine, his wife and two kids were very enthusiastic about it and jumped right on board. <laughs> but that wasn't what happened. Everyone was livid. And, and, and probably the wife had some grounds. But what happened is the next week, his daughter came up to him and he said, she said, she was the one getting in the most trouble. She was 16 years old. And she came up to him and she said, Dad, about this orphanage thing. And he said, yeah. 
she said, I think, I think I can get on board with this, but I want to go. I want to see where this is going to happen. I want to be able to touch the dirt that's going to be broken. I want to see the kids that are going to be living there. I want to, I want to help build it. And the dad said, well, that's going to cost more money. And she goes, I don't care. I want to be part of it. There, there was this thing that happened where he sold her a better story than she was living. Everything that was going on in her life where she was getting in trouble and doing drugs, the story of this going into this community and building an orphanage for those who don't have parents was a better story for her, and she embraced it fully. And she said, Dad, I don't want to just send money to it. I want to help build it. And they've been going to this orphanage every year since they broke ground on it years ago. And so this, this idea that she, she wasn't willing to just be a nominal donor in this thing. And I think sometimes that's kind of the place that we get to as churchgoers today. You know, the, the biggest threat to the church, you know what it is? It's not atheism. It's not secularism. It's not humanism. It's nominalism. It's the fact that we don't have a good story anymore. But the sad thing is we have the best story, but we don't let it change us. We don't let it do anything. We just take this, this, okay, I just want you to just think for just a second about this idea. Here's our claim. That a man who is 100% man and 100% God was born to a virgin, escaped death many times, raised up, lived a, sinful, a sinless life, walked with disciples, trained amongst them, and then, here's the kicker, was executed on a cross and rose again to conquer death and now sits at the right hand of the Father. This is our story, right? This is the thing that our faith hinges upon, this resurrection story. That's a great story. But what does it do? For most of us, it changes our Sunday schedule. It means we can't watch the Chiefs game. I told Jacoby I was going to put uh, score updates on the screen, but I don't have access. Sorry, Matt. <laughs> for, 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 for some of us, it, all, all it does is it means that we got to go out to eat on Sundays because we're already out anyway. It doesn't change who we are. And, and it, the really funny thing is, is that when, when you talk to a lot of young people, and I, I'm not going to throw away, like, uh, throw around these, these labels, but millennials... Um, Everyone wants to write a book about how to make millennials attracted to the church. There's, I mean, if you go to Amazon and type in Christian books, 50% of them will be about millennials and leaving the church. They've even given new names. We have the nuns. You know what a nun is? Not, not the kind of nun that like, is a Catholic nun. N-O-N-E. So it's people that mark nun when it talks about religious affiliation. So that's like Christian and nun, and they check nun. Well, the nuns are on the rise, and Tom Rainier has written a book about it. The nuns. Well, there's also the duns. The duns are those that were raised in church that want nothing to do with it anymore. So how do we become a church that attracts the nuns and the duns? We tell and we believe the story that I just told you. And we make church more about just rearranging our Sunday schedule or maybe our Wednesday night schedule. Whatever that looks like, we make it more than that. We make it about our claim of a deity being born in flesh, Emmanuel. This is why I'm so excited for this to go right into Advent, because we're going to hit Advent hard with Born the King, and it's going to be all about this, this presence of God being with us 
and what it means for God to walk amongst us and what it means to our lives to embrace this idea that God did not just come, but God is here. And he's Emmanuel and he is with us right here, right now. And we're moving toward this. If we embrace that story, it changes more than just what we do on Sundays. It changes more than what time we go to bed on Saturdays. It changes more whether or not we, have a, we go to brunch or we set our alarm clock. That's not enough. That's not a compelling story. That, that story is no better than I want to watch the NFL. Here's the power that good stories have. Yesterday was the second greatest day of the year. <laughs> Yesterday, Oklahoma played Texas. Oklahoma, Texas weekend for me is a close second to Christmas morning. In fact, I, I have now embraced this idea that Friday night before the game is OU Texas Eve. No one got me a present, though. Because you get to open one. There is something compelling about that. Let, let me tell you what it is. I set my alarm clock for 6 o'clock in the morning on Saturday. Because I didn't want to miss a second of college game day. Because I knew. It was the second biggest game of the week. They were going to talk a lot about it. I didn't want to miss any of it. I, 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 got, I heard text messages because some people know that I'm ridiculous and they go ahead and text me at 6.30 on a Saturday morning because they know I'll be awake. I didn't check any of them. Our nieces, our, our great niece, I guess is what you call that one. <laughs> she had a birthday party. Now, here's what's tricky about that. Our niece is an OU grad. Why would you plan a birthday party on OU Texas weekend? That just doesn't make any sense. We precisely made sure that the game was going to be over before we left to go buy presents and go up to the party. It changes a lot. My father-in-law went up to Reno because they were flying out to go on vacation, but he made sure they left super early in the morning so they could be up there before kickoff. I've changed everything around that Saturday for this event. And then all day, all I thought about was how good it was at OU1. They beat Texas. This morning I woke up, Matt sent me a text and says, well, you should see what I got you, Fast Appreciation. He's got that beautiful jersey on today. <laughs> Everybody went like this. <laughs> I will live on this for like a week. It's the greatest. We know you beat Texas. I will forget this sermon by lunchtime. There are, there are times when people come up to me and say, remember when you? And I said, no. It, it's really, it was really convicting this week for me to dive into the fact that how much does my life look different than everybody else's life when I have this story that I claim that changed the world? Even if people don't believe that Jesus is the Messiah, they still mostly admit that Jesus changed the world. I mean, 2,000 some odd years of people devoting themselves to a mission, to, to something that is happening, that, that, that whether they believe it or not, they can't make it go away. And, and the crazy thing is, is that we look at it as Americans and we say, but the church is on decline. Well, that's because we're looking at it as Americans. The church in Africa, the church in South America is exploding. It, I mean, it is, it is going crazy. You know where the, uh, the fastest growing missionary base is coming from now? It's not the U.S. It's Africa. There are more missionaries coming to the U.S. from Africa than the U.S. is sending out anywhere else. It's exploding. 
So no matter what you believe about this Jesus or a claim that he is God, whatever, it doesn't matter. It, st- it changed the world, and yet we live like, oh, okay, that's cool. I hope he's got good juice for the communion this week. I hope there's coffee. I hope there's donuts when I leave. And some, somehow our faith becomes so watered down with nonsense. And, and, and you need to know that a lot of this nonsense is, is, is it, I, I can't, I get so caught up in still being in this room and not in that room that it's so, it just bogs me down and it's nonsense. It, it, it's absolutely ridiculous that I let that get in the way of what this story is. And I think, honestly, it's because we don't take that faith quite seriously enough. The scripture that I was referring to earlier is in Luke chapter 14. If you have a Bible, you can turn there. There's one in your seat. If you want to open up your Bible app, that's fine. Just make sure you head over to Facebook and check in. It's chapter 14, verse 25. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus and turning to them, he said. Now, at this point, they're on the way to Jerusalem. At this point in Luke, he's already, he's, he's making his last voyage into Jerusalem. He said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower, or the Ornsby house. Will he not first sit down and estimate the cost to see if it has enough money to complete it? For if he lays the foundation and is not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule him, saying, this building will never be done. No. This fellow began to build and was not able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Will he not first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he is not able, he will not send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, any of you who does not give up everything he has, cannot be my disciple. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is fit neither for the soil nor for the manure pile. It is thrown out. He who has ears, let him hear. That is not a message you hear and you walk away and go, yeah, I'm super motivated now. This is Jesus saying, you have got to make sure that what you're doing, we are headed to Jerusalem. Now, he knows exactly what's going to happen when he causes all the problems in Jerusalem. He's going to put the Romans and the Jewish leadership in a position where the only solution is going to be they're going to have to kill him. So what he's doing right now is he's saying, listen, here's the thing. Are you ready? Because you need to make sure you're all in because what we're about to do is going to get serious. And he even foreshadows a little bit further on with this idea that after I'm gone, it's going to get even more serious. And soon, some of you are going to be put to death the same way that I am. Andy Stanley writes in a book when he went to Rome, 
he was walking into the Colosseum, and he said, nobody noticed this, but he said he, he couldn't help but notice it. When you walk into to the Colosseum in Rome, you walk in through the emperor's gate. And, and so that's the gate that the emperor and all of his guests would enter into when they went and watched everyone kill each other. So he walked in, and he saw way up, kind of hanging up, was a wooden cross. And he said in his mind, he couldn't help but think of the fact of how many people were crucified and how many Christians died in that area. And there's this cross up there. So he went up to the tour guide and he said, what's up with the cross? And the tour guide says, what cross? I never even noticed the cross before. And so he goes home and he does like anyone would do and he Googles it. And it turns out that Pope Benedict uh, put this cross in because they were going to tear down the Colosseum. And he, so he made it a religious monument. And he put this cross up there. And, and so everything is going toward that now. And it changed the way that they looked at everything like that. And so there's this... this message that when you go into a place where thousands of Christians lost their lives by crucifixion, that even now, it's a stark reminder of what it was to be all in. The, the, the Colosseum is, is said that that's where Peter was probably crucified upside down. Um, that's what the legend says. So in this very room, in this very building, in this very place where this horrible stuff happened, Andy Stanley left there going, it was a stark reminder of what it looks like to be a fully devoted follower of Christ. Because these people weren't going to give. And so at this point, Jesus is warning them. Now, now, you have to understand that Far Eastern language is never just the surface language, right? So what Luke is saying here is not that, okay, if you really want to be a Christian, you need to start hating on people. In fact, all that stuff about those uh, honoring your father and mother, yeah, don't do that. Hate them instead. This is so not the point of this message. And Jesus is speaking in hyperbole for a reason because it gets a reaction. And people are hearing it and they're listening. When Jesus says this, he is basically telling his followers this. If there is anything, anything that is going to get in the way from, of, of, of us, of our relationship, you need to get rid of it. Anything. What, what, what's the most important thing to you? It's Family. So we have this thing that we do in the church in Nazareth. We talk about it a lot. It's called sanctification. Sanctification is just simply giving up the things that get between you and God. And family is one of those things, right? And so when, when, when Julie and I got married, there was this act of sanctification where I had to surrender Julie to God. She wasn't mine. She's God's. And I have to surrender that back. When we had kids, same thing, surrender. This idea of surrendering. Because there cannot be anything that gets in the way. And, and, and you know what? There's people that have owned things since Jesus was here and after Jesus is here. And it's okay to have these things. But it's not okay for them to have you. And so we have to be able to live in a way that if God calls you to get rid of everything and go be a missionary, that we do it. This is, this is one of the reasons why I think I connected so well with Danielle and Neil. This, the, the, the missionaries that we support in Madagascar, they, they get to come and, and share their stories. Because it was one of those things where they felt God saying, you are going to go somewhere you've never been, that you're not going to be comfortable, and you're going to do things you've never done and have no expertise in. And they said, yeah, okay. And they went to Madagascar. And so now a barista is now a midwife, and an EMT is now a botanist. Because God said go, and they said, all right, we'll just start selling stuff, and we'll raise our kids amongst the lemurs and geckos. <laughs> and, and this is what they do. They, they embrace this idea. 
People ask me all the time when I'm, when I'm driving my Jeep around, they say, hey, is your Jeep for sale? Yep. How much? Well, I don't know. How much you want to get for it? Point is, everything I own is for sale. There's, there's nothing that I own that is not for sale because it's just a thing. Just like there is nothing that I own that is not giveawayable. There's nothing that I own that I'm going to be so clinged on to that it changes the way I view my relationship with God. I'll get rid of it. We have to get to a place where stuff doesn't matter. And then Jesus says this, and if you really want to follow me, sure, that's easy to give up stuff. Most of them are poor anyway. He says, but if you really want to follow me, you're going to pick up your cross, and you're going to follow me. See, for us, what we do with that statement is we're like, I think my cross is like my Starbucks addiction. Um, I have to pick that up and stop drinking so much Starbucks, and then I'll be a real disciple of Jesus. Problem is, a cross meant something to first century Christians. They saw people die on them all the time. They saw crucifixions taking place. They, they, they saw people being hung up there and just suffocating because they didn't have any strength left to pull themselves up on the nails to take a breath. They, they, this meant something. So when Jesus says, pick up your cross and follow me, they went, no. No, you, you had me with all the feeding of the 5,000 and all that cool stuff you're doing, the whole water to wine thing. I mean, I'm, all, I'm on board with all that. But now you're talking crazy. And I just, I mean, the healing on the Sabbath, I get it. It's cool. But picking up my cross, that means I have to die a humiliating death of like the worst. No, I'm not doing that. Not doing that. And this becomes what, what it, now he is calling people to because it's no doubt that at some day they might be faced with this in real life. And all of the disciples were at one point or another, face with this in real life. I, I, think, it's, I think it's a disservice when we sit here as, as, as people of the church and we try to, like, say what our cross is. No, the cross is a cross. The cross is what you were hung to to be made fun of until you died. That's the cross. Are, are we willing to go that far? Or does church or Christianity, Jesus, just change the way that we... What time we wake up on Sundays? And whether or not we get to watch a football game. Everything needs to change around this simple message. Around this thing that happened. This, this God that came. And he says, why would you build a tower? And this is probably a lot of commentators are saying that they, they used to build like these watchtowers and vineyards so that you could make sure that no one was stealing your grapes. This is probably the tower that Jesus is referring to, building a giant tower so you can watch over your fields. Why would you even start that process if you didn't have the money to finish it? Well, I got something for Jesus. Maybe the contractor, but <laughs> maybe permits were tough to get. And, uh, what, why would you go to war and not weigh that cost of war first? There are people in our district and really good friends of mine that in order to, do, to be baptized, you go through this pretty rigorous class to do it. And I used to think, you know, but Philip baptized that eunuch just on the side of the road. So, I mean, that's biblical. But I think it's really clear here that Jesus is saying that before you do this, man, know what you're doing. Before you enter into this, know what you're doing. Before you say yes to this, know what you're doing. 
it's easy to get people to raise their hands at the end or get them to come to the altar if you talk about how awesome Christianity is. And, I, and I'm going to tell you right now that it's like the adventure. You have to leave your stuff, go into the jungle. Some of you might not come back, but it's worth it. It is worth it. But that doesn't mean it's easy. And there are going to be things that take place. There are going to be times that you have to make hard choices. I remember when I was a youth pastor in Oklahoma City, we had a girl who was a track star, and she was in junior high, but she ran with the high school track team. And they, they were going to, um, she came to our youth group to play basketball. She went to another church, because that's how it worked in Oklahoma. Uh, everyone goes to like six different churches and youth groups and all that kind of stuff. But she, she came, and she was like, yeah, the track meet got canceled because of weather. And she ends up having to make this decision because it got moved to the next week. Well, she'd already signed up to go on a mission trip that next week. And so she goes, as a seventh grader, she had this wherewithal. She goes to her coach. She says, Coach, I can't, I've already committed to go on this mission trip. I can't run this weekend. And the coach says, listen, your team is counting on you. You've committed to this track team. So if you don't go to the track meet, just turn in your uniform. And I remember sitting down with her, and she says, what do I do? And I said, I can tell you the answer, but you need to find that answer because you need to understand what it costs. You need to make sure that you're willing to pay what it costs. So the next day she went to school with her uniform and gave it to her coach, and she said, I can't, I have to go. And she explained to this coach how discipleship and honoring God is more important than running on this team. And so not only did she get to make this stance, but she also got to share a little bit of the gospel with her coach. And she didn't run that weekend, and she was kicked off the team. We have to be willing to make very hard choices to do this. We have to be willing to enter into this thing knowing that it could cost you friends. It could cost you. It, but here's, we don't have to enter into it knowing it costs us our life, most of us. They did. When Jesus, when Jesus was, it could cost him everything. It could cost him everything. As disciples, we need to take faith seriously. We need to understand that our story is so amazingly miraculous that it should change everything we do. Not just some things. It shouldn't just be that we walk around and we wear, carry signs that say, I don't drink, smoke, or chew, or date girls that do. It should, it should impact everything that we do. Can you imagine what it would look like to live this way? it's going to seem absurd, all right? Let me, let me just tell you. When you go to a restaurant and you pray before you order, what should I order? Right? I mean, if, if we, and I'm not saying that this is what we need to do, is we need to pray about, hey, oh man, what shoes should I wear today, Father God? Yeah. But what if we lived a life that our, our constant life was just a constant prayer and everything we did was in reflection of what God wants us to do and we began to live that way and we, everything changed because we took this whole thing seriously and we believed that the God that rose Jesus from the dead is still the God that can raise us from our death. It's still the God that says, pick up your cross and I got you. I won't leave you there. I'm not going to forsake you. Do what I'm calling you to do and I have got you. And it's going to be tough sometimes. And you're going to walk through a valley of the shadow of death, but I'm right there with you. And there's going to be times that you're not going to see me, but I'm there. And you're going to feel abandoned, but I'm there. Everything you do, this thing is big enough, and I am big enough to walk you through it. 
And I promise you, it's worth it. Because on the other side of all of this is our call to bring the kingdom of heaven here on earth. I look at some of the stuff that we're involved in to do that. And, I, and just like looking around. I mean, we range from... No, Lynn doesn't like when I talk about him, so I'll leave him out of this one. But we have people that have surrendered their life to work with people that are in addiction, wrestling with addiction. We have people that have just discovered what it looks like to befriend and work with people that are living in addiction. We have one of the smartest people in this church has devoted her life to work with kids that most people don't want anything to do with anymore. And that's a choice that she made. We, we've got someone in this church right now that, that, that has embraced this idea of what it looks like to be a foster parent for those that don't have what we all kind of take for granted. And what that looks like to go through an adoption process that's not easy, it's hard, it's long out, it's drawn out. But her and her family have said, no, we're doing this because it's what God would have us do. I don't know if you guys know this, but Jess has dedicated a large part of her day to working with CASA and to be that court advocate for kids that don't have a voice in the court system, that kind of get pushed around by lawyers and parents and judges, and, and then she stands up for it. We have people in this place right now that give everything they have to make sure that the kingdom of earth comes here on, uh, the kingdom of heaven comes to here on earth. And, and, I, and I guarantee that the people that do this don't do it because they have free time on their hands. Because it's not fun. It's dirty. It's messy. It's hard. But that's what we're called to do. So, you know what? I, I made kind of a weak plea earlier. But how about this? Bare minimum. Let's bring in some sleeping bags, some blankets. Go buy a coat. Bring it in, because you know what? Here's what we do. We make sure people don't die on the streets. It's why we participate not off the streets. We're the first two weeks of December this year. You know why we do that? It's because no one should die because they're cold. No one should die because a city doesn't prioritize taking care of them. Because it's the church's job anyway. And so the six churches that are involved in Die Off the Streets, we've made this stand and we say, no, we're not going to let people die because it gets cold. That shouldn't happen anymore. It's a declaration that we make. And so I, I'm not just going to make a weak little plea for blankets and sleeping bags. I'm going to say, go get some sleeping bags. I mean, we all have them in our garage. Most of us have them. Bring in a sleeping bag. Get a blanket. Buy a jacket. Can you imagine what that looks like? When a kid who comes to school every single day and just is freezing cold in January and the school nurse gets to say, here, I have a jacket for you. It changes everything. When we pass out shoes in the springtime, it changes everything. Everything hinges upon us saying yes to this call, this ridiculous hard call in order to bring the kingdom of heaven on earth. And so when we pray, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come on earth, as it is in heaven. We have to stop there and go, and I will help you. <laughs> and I have signed up to be that ambassador that brings the kingdom of heaven to here. That is our job. What do disciples do? We jump all in to make sure this place 
looks more like that place. So when people say, how can you possibly believe that Jesus was the Messiah? Look at our world. You can say, yeah, but you should see my faith community. We make it happen all the time. We want, we want to be Jesus. So when someone says, how can you even believe in a hope that a Messiah came? You can say, it's the only reason why I'm doing this. It's the only reason that makes sense. And you say yes, and you jump all in. Not just so your Sunday schedule gets changed, but so your life gets changed. Band's going to come back up. We're going to go into connecting time. As you connect today, let it be an opportunity for you to just reach out to God. Maybe, maybe it's time that you need to jump all in. Maybe it's time that you need to declare that you've kind of just been nominal and this has just kind of been a thing that you do. And it takes more.